0: Today, we continue in our series on the book of Jude, entitled, Contention of Faith. Let me give a parenthetical statement here. <clears throat> These are some tough sermons. Last week, this week, this week's extremely hard. Next week's going to be pretty tough. Uh, hang with me, it's going to get better. Okay? We eventually get to the end of Jude. This is one of the great passages of the Bible. Uh, so, But we have to go through the hard things. I mean, we have to look at the whole counsel of God's Word before we can receive those joyous passages that put a smile on our face and give us confidence. But we have to also live with the challenges that God puts us. So we're looking at the book of Jude. And Jude himself said, you know, I wanted to write about the salvation of the share. I really wanted to write about this blessed gospel, about the salvation that we share and the hope we have. But something's happened within the church. And so now I think I need to to tell you to contend for the faith that's once for all entrusted to the saints. So even though I, as a, as a preacher, I'd love to hear him preach about joy and peace and salvation all those things, you know, sometimes you just have to preach the hard things. Uh, so we're looking at the book of Jude, and Jude tells us to contend for the faith. He says, because people have, have come into the church, False teachers have come into the church, have come into the organization, and they're preaching things contrary to the Word of God. And so he's talking about false teachers, and he he says, you need help on how to contend for the faith. And so he's telling us how to to notice these these false teachers, but they're also serving as warning signs for us that we don't fall into the trap. We don't fall into those struggles. You know, every day, God gives us signs the point is in the right direction. We know all about signs. Because as we travel down this thing we call life, as we travel on the road, we see all kinds of signs. Here are some of the signs that you'll notice as you go through life. They I think they're up there. Uh-oh. Where are we at? Give me a sign. Give me a sign, God. There it is. Thank you, Marcy. I saw a sign. A red line. We if you see that, you know there's a red light coming up. Next one. Road construction ahead. You know, if you see that sign, you need to start slowing down because there's road construction up ahead. Not a left turn, it's a right turn. Slippery when red. Be, be careful when you drive. Warning sign. Heal. Doesn't need stop, but slow down. L- look around you. Make sure you're okay. Next one. I love this one. <laughs> Elderly people. Crossing. I don't know if they're going, I think they're going to a cemetery, but I, you know, I, I told them, I said, I think we're going to put that one up outside Fish Pond. And so people know. I like this one. Caution falling cows. <laughs> Never seen that sign, uh, but here's the one you like this one. Good luck. <laughs> How about this one for all you uh, uh, Lord of the Rings guys? You cannot pass. I know if you shall not pass. And we can't translate this one. <laughs> all right? then we got another one. Have you ever, that? you ever been on a road and it's rough? Or how about the road we call life? You know, sometimes the road ahead of us is tough, isn't it? And so God sometimes puts out these signs and says, hey, wrong way. Don't go that way. Or he'll put up another one. So looks something like this. He'll say, do not enter. Wrong road. Do not enter. Rough road. Danger. Danger. Warning. You know Robertson, warning, danger. All right? You'll catch that someday. Dead end. Dead end. You know, you get, you get the drift here? I'd turn back if I was you. <laughs> Listen, sometimes God puts warning signs out there for us. And he said, hey, don't go that way. Do not enter. Warning. Do not pass this point. a point of no entry. Or, hey, I'd turn back if I was you. God puts those warning signs out there. To give us instructions on how to live our lives. He puts signs out there and he says, Hey, do not go past this point. Because if you go past this point, you may cross a point of no return. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Jude, verses 5 through 10. Remember, I told you last week we're going to find the book of Jude. Turn to the end of your Bible, you're going to find the index. Go a little bit further left, you find the book of Revelation. A little bit further left, you find the little book of Jude. If you go to 3 John, you'll to look too far. It's one little page. Man, it is packed with power, packed with significance. So we're we'll going to look at verses 5 through 10 under the heading, the point of no return. And in this passage, Jesus is going to give us three warnings that we need to watch out for. Let's look at what he says. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who do not keep their positions of authority, but abandon their own home, these that he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slanderous celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, "The Lord, rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. You cross the point of no return with continued unbelief. You cross the point of no return with continued unbelief. Look at verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Judas says that you already know this information, but let me refresh your memory. We do that all the time. We will tell the stories. Hey, remember you know the story I told last week? We refresh so That's what Jesus doing. Let me refresh your memory. You know about this story, but let me tell you what is the story he wants to remember. He wants to remember about God calling the people of Israel out of Egypt. We know this in the Book of Exodus. You know the story. God sent Moses to set His people free from the bondage of slavery, from the bondage of faith. So Moses went there and did that. He led them out of the out of bondage in Egypt. And he led them to the, the very entry of the promised land. And as they got to the promised land, he, he sent twelve spies out to spy the land. Really more of a scouting out of ex, expedition, kind to see where do we need to enter and what do we need to do and all those things. Not out of doubt, not out of curiosity, but just we got to see how we're going to do this. So they went in there, and ten of the spies came back and said, It's impossible. We cannot do this. We do not have the power, we do not have the capability of overcoming the people of the land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can do it. It's just as God said, we can overthrow the land. But the people bought the majority report. And they went with them, and so God says, I'm going to punish you. You're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation has passed away. So because of their unbelief, God condemned them. An entire generation of people, 40 years, died. Even though they were saved out of their slavery, even though they had been delivered from their slavery, they did not believe that God could do what God said He could do. Put them in the promised land. So because of their unbelief, God destroyed them. That's what the story tells us. And that's why He's wanting us to remember that. Even though they had been saved, they revealed that they really did not believe that God could send them, take them to the promised land. Jude is saying, this same thing could happen to you. This could happen in in your life. Look, just because you're around things that are spiritual, just because you go to church, just because you've been around church things, that does not grandfather you in to the Lord's kingdom. Uh, You just don't receive it that way. You have to choose to be a part of the Lord's kingdom. Many Israelites did not believe. They were people of Israel. They were in the body of Israel, but they did not believe that God could do what God said He could do. Look, many church people do not believe. That's the sad truth. But it's a fact. Many church people do not believe that God can do what God says He can do. You can be around Christianity. You can see God do miracles. You can even have God do a miracle in your your own life. But if you do not open your heart up to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are lost and you're dead in your sins and you will face the consequences. You will face the judgment that comes from God. Just like the Israelites. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, verse 2. For we also had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Here's what he's said. You can have the gospel message preached to you, but if you do not believe it and you do not embrace it, it does you no good whatsoever. You have to have faith. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing. Hearing is by the word of God. You hear the word of God, and you get faith to believe the word of God. That's what happened to the people of Israel. They heard the truth, but they didn't believe it. And so Jude is saying the same thing can happen to you. You may be saying, I've been coming to this church for years. I, I, I'm a good person. I, I'm a church member. I, I've been baptized. Listen, being a good person, being a church member,
1: being baptized,
0: that ain't going to cut it. It does not count. It does not matter. The question you have to ask yourself is have I put my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what you have to ask yourself. Have I put my trust in where God put my sins in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Have you embraced that? That's the question you have to ask. You and I both know there are people in the church are not saved. Well, we know that. Matter fact, statistics tell us that statistics tell us that 50% of the people in the church role are not saved. 50%. That's a scary thought, isn't it? 50% of them, they have their name on a church role, but their name is not on God's role. Folks, church doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Being on a roll of a church does not save you. The only thing that saves you is the shed blood of Jesus Christ where His love ran red. That's the only thing that saves us. Those individuals who are on a church roll but they're not on God's roll, they've never had a change of heart. They've never repented of their sins and accepted Jesus Christ. Listen, God knows who's never been born again. We know it. God knows. God knows who's never been born again. When a person, hear me on this, when a person believes in Jesus, they desire to worship Jesus, they desire to obey Jesus, they desire to serve Jesus. If you do not desire to worship Jesus, you do not desire to obey Jesus, you do not desire to serve Jesus, guess what? You are not saved. You're not saved. It's not that those actions make you saved. It's that those actions prove you are saved. That's what Jude is trying to say. Yeah, make sure you got this right. Make sure you understand this. You can't continue and continue unbelieving. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've accepted Jesus to save your life, guess what? You're going to do the things that Jesus would do. That's what he's going to do. If you have no desire to do that, then you've got to go back and say, I really understand what it means to be saved. You are saved from something, your sin and death, but you're saved what? Saved to live a life for Jesus Christ. So he says, the the first point, you cross the point of no return with continued unbelief. The second one, you cross the point of no return when you continue in immorality. Look at verse 6. And the angels, who do not keep their positions of authority, but obeyed in their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. As you look at this passage, there's been lots of things offered about they trying to explain who these angels were that Jude is talking about. Now, obviously, the writers, the readers of Jude understood what Jude was talking about. So what we're left, we're left to glean what do we know from Scripture that we can understand what's going on, what's the background from this passage. There has been lots of uh, people that have tried to explain what he's talking about. Because of the connection within verse 7, with Sodom and Gomorrah, it leads us to believe that what Jude is talking about is sexual perversion in this passage. There's one passage in the Bible that talks about this situation. It's found in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1-4. In that passage, we have this weird story uh, happening about the, the sons of God married the daughters of men and from that relationship there were giants that were conceived. The sons of God were known to be angels who took on human form and they left their normal position to have relations with women and it says in that passage that giants were produced from that offspring offspring came from that union and Jude comes in and says what god did he punished those angels and he confined them in a place where they're waiting today for eternal punishment god would not allow such a perversion to exist in the world. And so if you go on and read Genesis chapter 6, you know what happens next? The flood. God brings His condemnation upon all the world. He says, it is grieved me that I have made man because they're wicked. He says, I'm going to start over with Noah and his children. That's what Jude is alluding to in this passage. He's the point he's trying to make is that the angels who had a relationship with God who enjoyed intimate fellowship with God, they were punished for their immorality. That's what he's trying to say. They weren't allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. They were punished for their immorality, but they're waiting for the final judgment. Right now, they're confined. That's why you don't see it happening anymore. Because God has confined them. They're not out there anymore. He goes on in verse 7. Look what he says. In a similar way. and a similar way connects it back to verse 6. He goes, in a similar way, Solomon and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. He says, in a similar way, and he draws in the story of Solomon and no. Gomorrah. We know the story of Solomon and Gomorrah. It's engraving in our minds if we've been in church any length of time. You know that God had put it in His heart to punish the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities for their wickedness. He said, their wickedness has rose up to me. So He sent some angels to investigate this. The angels disguised themselves as men because God has the power of them to do that. Disguised themselves as men. as they went into the city, they found hospitality with Abraham's nephew, Lot. And as they were enjoying the hospitality of Lot, it says that the men of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah came to Lot and said, Let us meet, let us know these individuals, what it's actually saying. Let us have sexual relations with these men that you brought in. Don't make the mistake that some people make and say, Oh, they must have wanted to have sexual relations with angels. And that's what God's condemning in this passage because he connects it to verse 6. That's not what it is. They didn't know they were angels. We know they were angels because we can read it in the Bible. They didn't know that. They thought they were men. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is homosexuality. We cannot escape that. In any preacher, any school, anybody that says anything different, they are wrong based on God's word. They're wrong. So they come in because of their, their sexual perversion, because they, they, they went beyond the extremes of the body. It says that God destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice a couple of things about this passage. Notice what it says. It says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up. That's an interesting phrase. Gave themselves up to sexual immorality. Listen, folks, if they can give themselves up to sexual immorality, that means they, they, cannot, they can also not give themselves up to sexual authority. What it means is they gave into the sexual urges and they gave into it. That's what it's meaning. So because they gave into it and they didn't turn from it, he says God destroyed them. God turned them over. This is what he's trying to say in this passage. And then what else he says? Jude says. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Who? The angels, but also those who saw them in the war. They serve as an example to us. Jude is saying those individuals who continue down the path of immorality will suffer the judgment of God, is what he's saying. Listen. Sodom and Gomorrah is not just a historical story that happened. It's a prophetic utterance for us today. Don't go down that path. Don't listen to those who would lead you down that path. It's a warning sign from God. But listen, and hear me on this. Homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin, adultery is not the unpardonable sin. Fornication is not the unpardonable sin. Immorality is not the unpardonable sin. But if you continue to go down that path, you are in dangerous territory. Dangerous territory. Because what you're doing is you're rejecting the truth that God has revealed for us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to revenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is God is holy and God cannot accept sin in his presence he is holy and he calls his people to be holy Peter says it over and over be holy as the Lord your God is holy we are called to be unique we are called to be special we are called to be holy not ordinary but if we continue down the path of immorality we are insulting the grace of God, and we reveal that we were not saved. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We insult the grace of God, and we trample underfoot Jesus Christ. Say, I know what you say, but I refuse to follow what you're telling me. So you cross the point of no return with continue to unbelieve. You cross the point of no return when you continue in immorality Cross the point of no return with blatant irreverence. Remember, I told y'all, hang in there. We're going to get to the end of June. It'll be okay. Trust me. I know you. Look, when I originally wrote this sermon, it was nine pages long, and my sermons are usually about four pages, three and a half to four pages. Okay, so God beat me up in this name. but nine pages. I'm only giving you four. Okay, so I just want to say it's going it's going to get better. Here's the third truth. You cross the border of no return with blatant irreverence. Look at what he says in verse 8. In the very same way, there again, that connects us back to verse 7, connects us back to verse 6. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. What we're dealing with here is, is irreverence. And Jews says they reveal their irreverence in three ways. First, they do not submit themselves to the word of God. Notice what Jude calls them. He says, These guys are dreamers, and because they're dreamers, they pollute their own life. This ties very closely to the previous passages we looked at in verse six and verse seven. It ties into that immorality, but now he's explaining why they're immoral. He says this is the reason they're immoral, because they have no reverence, what? First to the word of God. Where do we get that? The word he used here for dreamers comes from a root word that means spiritual revelations. They're giving divine revelations from God that they say trumps the Word of God. What they believe, what they think is more important than what the Word of God thinks. This is what they're saying. We have a special revelation to God, so you have to listen to us instead of the Word of God. And because we have a special revelation to God, He said we can do whatever we want to do because we're not under that authority of the Word of God. Therefore, we can be sexual deviants. We can be immoral with that because we have a divine revelation of God. Listen, a lot of people think dreams are from God. <laughs> There's a lot of people. I can tell you some churches that are built on dreams, but they ain't built on the Word of God. Uh, I can tell you that. But we won't go that out, let, let me go this way. There's a lot of people that have a dream of what marriage is supposed to look like. Uh, they say, uh, uh, and I know we tread on thin ice when we talk about marriage, but you know, they say, well, you know, God intends for me to be happy in marriage, and I'm not happy with my current spouse, so I'm just going to divorce my spouse. And that way I'll be happy. I have a friend who's like that. A good friend of mine he said, God has told me I'm supposed to be happy in my marriage. I'm not happy, so I'm going to divorce my wife. So I went to him and I said, well, this is what the Word of God says. He says, I don't care what the Word of God says. God wants me to be happy. You know what he just said? My dreams trump God's word, Is what he said. No. But there's lots of people out there that have dreams. A dreamer thinks his dreams are more important than the Word of God. Listen, I believe in dreams. I believe in visions. I have a dream for this church. I have a vision for this church. But dreams better line up with the Word of God. If they do not, guess what? The Word of God takes precedence over your dreams. This is what he's trying to tell us in this passage. Instead of submitting to your dreams, you submit to the Word of God. The false teachers didn't do that. The false teachers didn't submit to the Word of God. There's other believers that do the same thing. They're, they're trusting the dream. Listen to what uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. If a prophet, a one who foretells by dreams, appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or a wonder,
1: and if the sign or
0: wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow. In Him you must revere. Keep His commands, obey Him, serve Him, and hold fast to Him. Here's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy. Listen, somebody comes along. he's a prophet, and he has a dream, and that dream comes true. That prophecy comes true. Don't just accept it at face value. If he says, okay, now come follow my path, come follow my way, he says you are to reject him because you are to follow the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's him you are to worship. It's him you are to serve. He goes on later in that passage, that that Deuteronomy 13 passage, if that person comes, you are to put him to death. Now listen, we don't have that luxury today. We can't go out and just kill false teachers. We can't go to the churches that that have have false preachers or or false teachers. We can't go to our universities that have false teachers and false uh, people. We can't kill them. We can't go to our seminary and kill them. We can't do that. We can't do it. Uh, We leave that to God. What can we do in, in that situation? What are we supposed to do? We're to purge the evil from our midst. We're not to have anything to do with them. We're not supposed to relate with them. We're not supposed to have fellowship with them in that situation. Why? Because God says, He's doing this to test you. God's testing you. Your moment, what is your loyalty like? Where do you die? Are you going to listen to your dreams? You're listen to Those people aren't going to listen to the Word of God. Listen, the truth is, we all struggle with sin. Am I right? Does everybody here never struggle with sin? We all struggle with sin. Every one of us. The question you have to ask, are you doing your best to try to live according to God's Word? That's the question. And if you say, I know what God's word says, but I still refuse to follow it, what you want, you're, you're snubbing your nose at God. You're thumbing your nose at God and saying, I reject your authority in my life. And God said, don't go there. Don't go down that, that path. Why? Because it's your irreverence. Secondly, He says they reveal their irreverence because they refuse to submit to authority in their lives. Jude says these people who thought they were spiritually enlightened, because they were spiritually enlightened, they did not have to submit to any spiritual authorities in their life. We already know they denied the lordship of Jesus Christ, as we build in verse 4 of Jude. But now we're talking about they're rejecting any authority in their lives. What they've done, they bought into the devil's lies. This is as old as the Garden of Eden. When Eve was tempted by uh, Satan in the, in the form of a serpent. That should have been rule number one. Don't listen to this name. But anyway, she, she was tempted. What, what did the serpent say? Satan said that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you would know everything. You will become like God. That's what it said. You will become like God. Listen, that's what Satan wants to believe. Satan wants to believe. There's no authority over us. There's no spiritual authority over us. You can make way you can do your own thing you can be your own god it's the same lie that satan did in the garden of Eden. that's exactly what was happening in this situation false teachers became their own authority and they did not submit to others they despised authority they became their own they became their own lord they became their own master and because of that they could live their life any way they wanted to live they demonstrate their irreverence by their total lack of regard to any authority in their lives. And then we come to the third truth about how they revealed their irrever- irreverence. Very difficult passage. He says in that verse 8, they reject authority and slander celestial beings. Uh, this was pretty, pretty hard. I, I had trouble with this one. I spent a good day and a half, two days, wrestling with the text trying to understand what it meant. The word slander means to say something false, or to say something damaging about someone. And from what we can glean from this passage is that these individuals did not think that there were spiritual forces that had any influence over the life. They were immune from Satan. They were immune from any evil, demonic forces in their life. They said, we can, if they did say they were there, we can stand up for them. We can stand up for them in our own power, in our own minds. They were basically saying, Satan, you have no power over us. A demonic force says, you don't have any influence over us. And then to illustrate it, Jude offers one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. Verse 9. Look at what he says. But, that but ties back to the previous verse. But, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuked. Now, this passage in Jude has no Old Testament equivalent. There's no other documentation anywhere in Scripture that we find this. So what do we do with it? What does just throw out, right? I know we can't do that. We've got to deal with it. So I think what we have to say, first off, is it true? Well, you know, every other illustration that Jude provides us is, is right out of the Bible. And we've already talked about a couple of them. They're right out of the Bible. One's coming up, the Cain and Balaam and Korah, right out of the Bible. So we must believe this is out of the Bible somewhere. But the Old Testament gives us no point of reference for this passage so we, we have to deal with it as we see it here so what we glean from studies and from what we can clean from extra extra sources is that whenever moses died all we know is that moses died nobody knows where he buried that god sent michael to get the body of moses to bury the body of moses probably because he did not want the people to revere the graveside of moses and as Michael was going to get the body of Moses. Lucifer, Satan, who at one time was a archangel, angel just like Michael, disputed with Moses uh, with uh, uh, Michael over the body of Moses, and they were coming to a fight about it. Perhaps Satan wanted to take the body of Moses, set up a grave, a monument marker to it, and people come, "Oh, it was Moses." Much like people go to Elvis Presley's today. Oh, he's the king. He's the king. Moses was not deliverer, And they began to worship at the grave of Moses. God knew that it would become an idol to the people. That's what we speculate. So Moses, so Satan is wanting to get that. So Michael, instead of fighting with him, Satan wanted to say, the Lord rebuked you. He did not have the authority to say, I rebuked you in my name. He said No, he said, the Lord rebuked you. Now listen, stop even think about that for a moment. The Bible says that Michael was on a mission from God. He was assigned by God to do his task. He had the authority of God to act. The Bible also says that one angel killed 185,000 people in one night. Listen, put it in modern day context. One angel could wipe out a an One angel. With one sword. He could wipe out all the egghead. It wouldn't even take a weapon of mass destruction. The angel is the weapon of mass destruction. He can wipe it out, but even he, with all of his power, would not contend with Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke him. That's what he's trying to help us understand in this passage. Here's the point that he's trying to make. Many people today think that Satan has no influence in the world. They think there are no evil forces, There are no demonic forces. There's nothing vying for your soul. There's nothing wrestling for your life. They have no pull over you whatsoever. They cannot harm you. They cannot affect you. They say if they do exist, if they do acknowledge they might exist, they say you have power to stand against them yourself. You can confront them yourself. You can stay in your power. I rebuke you, Satan. Listen, folks, we don't have the power to keep Satan. We don't have the power to stand up the demonic forces. Paul writes about it in Ephesians. He said, Every day, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can resist the devil. He said, We can't do it. We have to understand that we're fighting against spiritual powers, not earthly powers. There's a spiritual force that's going on. And we do not have the power. We do not have the capability to stand in front of them. And if we think we do, what we're doing, we're basically slandering them and saying, you don't have authority over me. You have no power over me. These people are living in la-la land. They're living in an age that they don't understand. He goes on to explain that in verse 10. what he says? Yet these men... Speak abusefully against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Okay, here's what he's saying. Because these guys have divine revelation, they understand Scripture better than anybody. Because they're not over any spiritual forces, there's nothing out there. He says they know better than those. And because they can't explain it, then it must not be real. They have a rational mind. This is what they're thinking about that. They do not believe these things are true. They're filled with arrogance. Put the passage in context. They do not submit to the authority of the Word of God. They do not submit to the spiritual authorities over them. And they slander celestial beings. What do all these things have to, have to do? What are they all together? We're all talking about spiritual things. Every one of them. They're not talking about anything earthly. It's all spiritual. They said because we can't see it, because we can't feel it, because we can't prove it, it must not be true. Therefore, those things have no authority over our lives. And he says all they're doing is they're revealing they're nothing more than dumb beasts who are controlled by the urges. That's what he's saying. Because they don't understand these things, they explain away and they live their life to fulfill the sexual desires or their immorality because they have no authority in their life. Irreverence. They don't submit to the word of God. They don't submit to the spiritual authorities. And they deny there's even any spiritual influence in the world. Here's the warning signs. Continued unbelief, immorality, and blatant irreverence. What does God say about these people? Verse 11. Woe to Woe to them. And then he tells us about it. We're going to talk about that passage next week. But we'll eventually get to Jude 24 and 25. And I promise you, we'll get there. But here we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word. See, I think what we've done, and we'll close with this, I think what we're doing in society today. We're telling people, you've got to get saved. You just need Jesus. But we don't really tell them what that looks like. They won't won't fire insurance. But they don't know that it comes with life insurance. That it's the way you're supposed to live your life. It doesn't mean you're saved by your works. It doesn't mean that that good works have anything to do with saying as We are saved by the good work of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. What I'm trying to say, is, that if you are saved, if you are genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ, it will reveal itself by the way you live your life. God says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. For some of you, this is your marker. This is God's marker. He's laying it out. Here's the sign that I want you to follow. He said, warning, do not cross this line. It's a choice. Listen, it's a choice you can make. You can choose today to follow Jesus, or you can choose today not to follow Jesus. But here's the thing. If you choose not to follow Jesus, And the rest of your life, you choose that when you die and you face the judge, which you will, whether you believe it, not you're going to, He's not going to let you spend time with Him. Here's what he's going to say. If you didn't want to spend any time with me on earth, I'm not going to let you spend any time with me in heaven. Why would I do that to you? I love you. And I want you to do whatever you want to do. You made the choice, not me. But if you desire to spend time with me on earth and, and love me and obey me and serve me and worship me, He said, Where don't cross this point because if you do, you might reach the point of no return. We're going to have a time of invitation. Josh and Tracy, if going will come forward, they're going to lead us. We won't blame the point. We're not going to drag it out. We're a small crowd today. Look, you know if God's speaking to you, God's not. God. I don't have to suffer the course, manipulate, and, and drag it out longer over longer. If God is speaking in your heart, here's what I want you to do: as soon as I say "Amen." Josh hits the first court. Get out of that aisle and walk down here. It ain't that hard. It ain't that difficult. Nobody here's going to laugh. Nobody here's going to stinker and go tell me. Nobody's
1: going to say that.
0: Instead we say, Praise be to God. Praise be to God. That's what it is. Jump to your feet. Just have a prayer.